Luke chapter 10. Uh, we finished Luke chapter 10 today after spending last week um, with the, the Good Samaritan story. And a couple of weeks back, we did the stuff on mission at the start. We're going to just do a very short passage and a, again, a very familiar passage today from a chapter or verse 38 to verse 42. So let me read verses that you probably will all know very well. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. But few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. As we've returned to Luke now for three sermons, uh, covering Luke chapter 10, and returned therefore to a close look at Jesus, I am finding that it is wrecking me. I'm just getting challenged over and over again. And I think this happens a lot whenever we go into the Gospels and we just listen to the real basics of what it means to follow Jesus. We had three weeks on women in ministry, really important and really interesting. And I loved learning more about it and I loved teaching about it. Um, but it didn't challenge me that much because I already fair idea with, with, with what I believe there. I did learn some new things. But as I come back to Jesus and to the Gospels, I'm just getting flattened <laughs> week after week after week. Um, we had uh, in the first block of Luke 10, mission. And we had in the second block of Luke 10, compassion. And now we have devotion. And I'm, I'm just finding it relentless, uh, this, this, this blast from Jesus through these, these passages in Luke. We live in an age of incredible distraction. This passage is about distraction and it is about devotion. And distraction derails our devotion to Jesus. Maybe like no generation in history before us. Here is an absolute powerhouse of a quote. I'm going to read it slowly. By a guy called Ronald Rollheiser, if I've pronounced that correctly. And he says, give me all you got. (laughs) We live in a climate within which it is difficult not just to think about God or to pray, but simply to have any interior depth whatsoever. People are shallow. They have no depth to them because of the the climate and the culture that is all around us. He goes on to say, and this just is rattling stuff, we are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. We are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. And if that's not enough for you, he then says, pathological busyness. Pathological means extreme 
out of control in this context, compulsive, irrational, pathological busyness, distraction and restlessness are major blocks today within our spiritual lives. So what is it that is distracting you into spiritual oblivion? What are the things that are pulling you away in terms of just your simple, basic, devotional life of walking with Jesus and following him? What are the things that are strangling that devotional life, that are coming in and choking it? What is contributing to what Rollheiser calls pathological busyness? I think that's a really, really powerful pair of words. Pathological busyness. I was carrying on with a few sixth formers earlier this week. There's a study room that joins on to the back of my classroom, chem study, as it's known. Um, famous, happy place for, for lots of students over the years, yes. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's unsupervised, as in there's no teacher in it. It's just me in my room. I go in repeatedly and tell them to be quiet and do some work and stop watching Netflix. And uh, I had a, a non-teaching period earlier this week. I'm sort of carrying on with them a wee bit, just, just in, in and out. And uh, one of them came into me afterwards and said, <clears throat> Sir, you must be really bored. And I said to her, without even thinking about it, I said, I haven't been bored in about 30 years. <laughs> and then I thought about it and I thought about it more and more. And I thought, you know what? We, some of us, we've forgotten what it means to be bored. It's, it's where our lives are so packed full of this pathological busyness, this continual activity that just to sit with our, with our arms hanging and think, I have nothing to do, is so rare. It's so rare. We fill our lives with so much. And here in the Gospel of Luke, we have another well-known account of Mary and Martha that's going to rattle us. And, and as I said a few weeks ago, we were rattled by Jesus' call to mission at the start of Luke 10 hammered by his, his call to the disciples to go, to go, to go, and to bring the message of the kingdom. And then last week, compassion on the broken in society. And it feels like I've only just stopped talking about that. And seven days have passed in a blink, and here we're going to get hit again with devotion. And some of you might you know, jump for joy at the notion of one sermon a fortnight, but I sometimes wonder, is a week enough to actually process um, what, what we're learning as, as we just walk with Jesus through this gospel? It's relentless. Tom Wright says, if you thought the story of the Good Samaritan was radical, this powerful little story suggests that Luke has plenty more where that came from. This is another hard hitter. Let's set the scene. Jesus earlier in Luke chapter 10 told his disciples when he sent them out on mission, he said, when you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. And now Jesus is modeling this because he goes and he stays at the house of Martha. He has told his disciples to find places where they are welcomed, where they are embraced, places of peace, where they can bring peace as well, and to stay in those places. And this is one of those places for Jesus. This is his happy place. This is his camp study. This is his castle well and lake or his sleeve burner or whatever it may be for any of you. Just the place that you love to go to, to get away and just chill the beans, get some rest, charge the battery. 
Jesus goes and he stays at this place. He, he goes regularly to, to this home. Martha is the lady who owns the house. She has a sister called Mary, who's also there. And they have a brother called Lazarus, according to the Gospel of John. A regular place of retreat where Jesus would withdraw to. And Luke records nothing more about these two. Nothing. Just this. Five verses, this tiny little story. And you think, look, you don't really need to put that in. You're not sort of setting yourself up for something. John talks about them. But Luke doesn't. And he pops this in. And he puts it in at this particular location. And some commentators have said, geographically, it's out of sync. If you were on your way to Jerusalem, unless you were sort of zigzagging all over the place, you wouldn't actually pass through Bethany the way Jesus was traveling. So either he went on a sort of circuitous route to get to Jerusalem, or Luke has put this in here because he wants to make a point. And the suggestion is that the point he's trying to make is last week, We had serving others. We had this notion of the Samaritan on the dangerous road, finding the broken down human being and helping him, having compassion. And and some writers think that, that Luke has put this story in immediately after that in case anyone would think you just serve yourself into the kingdom of God. You just keep on going up and down the road of life, finding people to pick up and that's it. So so we have at the start of this passage, we have too much serving from Martha that we're going to look at. Then we have the devotion of Mary as, a, as the, the sort of the, the, the other side of that, that it's not just about serving. There must be devotion to Jesus and to his words. And then that leads into the Lord's Prayer where we get access to God the Father. So that's why some people think Luke has tucked this little passage in here. So Martha's distracted. And as with lots of the action in Luke's gospel, appropriately for today, it's in the context of a meal. He's at Martha's house and she is preparing a meal. Martha will speak in this passage and Jesus will speak. Mary will say nothing. In the middle, it'll be her actions that we will learn from. And Martha is slaving away on her own in the kitchen. Now, Martha's had a bad rap and a hard time over the years, and people have criticized Martha for working away in the kitchen. Let's not make light of hard work in the kitchen, all right, and those who do it. I have great respect for those who display prowess in the kitchen. I have a limited repertoire of meals that I can prepare. Uh, In our house, if I'm on dinner duty, there there are two things that'll happen. One of them is known as burger night. So I'm gonna I'm gonna list all the meals I can do here on the screen, all right? Note the large font size. <laughs> I have spent enough time with teenagers to know that if you want to fill the space for the answer, you go with big big words. You get a crayon and you start writing. So burger night is is one and the reason that you know the kids like burger night, uh, burger, for those of you who don't know what a burger is. Uh, the kids like like burger night and that's good, makes them happy. But for me it's good because I only have to cook one thing. <laughs> just the burgers, all right? Nothing else needs cooked, just the burgers. I, I can cook spuds and I can cook veg and I can cook meat. I just really struggle with getting them all ready at the same time. That, that's the main problem, you know? Linda will sometimes come home and if I've been feeling, feeling particularly loving, I will have lots of stuff prepared, ready to cook, but I won't actually have cooked it. I've peeled it and cleaned it. And there it all is, but I, I don't really know what else to do. Uh, so burger night is, is, is option one. Option two, and the font gets bigger, is, uh, is pizza. <clears throat> I serve great pizza. 
get it in Apache <laughs> and port it down, and you can order it online, and it's it's fabulous. So there you go. That, that's my. I have respect for for Martha in the kitchen working hard. I'm not going to criticize her for that. Um, it's just really strange that I'm being watched from the kitchen at <laughs> the back. Um, Martha was distracted. She was distracted. And this word, this is a key word that I just want you to, to, to linger on this morning. John Ortberg says, For many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. I don't think there's anybody in here who's likely to turn their back on Jesus or intentionally neglect connection with Jesus. The great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. We will just skim our lives instead of actually living them. And when you read that and you're in your 20s, yeah, and your 30s, yeah, but more, and then your 40s, you're like, yeah. can get distracted and preoccupied and suddenly realize, goodness, the weeks and months and years are just flying by. And I'm skimming. I'm skimming life. The Greek word for distracted is perispao. Peri means around, like periscope from a submarine goes up and then allows you to look around. Peripatetic is somebody who travels around. So peri means around and spow, or I don't know how to pronounce that, but that's, that's the best I can do, means to draw out, as in to draw out a sword or to pull something out. So we, th- this, this word perispao could be translated to be pulled around if we're going really literally with what the Greek word means. Martha is being pulled around or pulled away. And the question is, pulled away from what? So I don't think Martha made a conscious decision of, I don't want to spend time with Jesus today. I don't think she, she had any inkling in her mind that spending time with Jesus is not important and I'm not going to spend time with Jesus and I, don't, I doubt that. You know, Jesus spent a lot of time at their house and I don't think for a moment that she made a conscious decision that she was not going to be with him because she had more important things to do. She was pulled away. And I, I would say every one of us, we intend to be with Jesus. Every one of us, we intend that. It, it might, you know, we might have different sort of expectations of, of, of what we would like to do in our time with Jesus or how much time we want to spend with him or what time during the day, when it'll be. But I, I would say the vast majority of us, we, we have a 100% sincere intention to be with Jesus, but we get pulled away. We're pulled away. And the distractions, this word distraction, that is the pulling away. That's the thing that pulls us around. Do you get the picture? If you're being pulled by something, you're not in control. You're not in control. You're you're at the whim of these distractions that are pulling you one direction and then another direction. And I've got a photograph of you being pulled around. That's it. You're the puppet on the string. And you respond. There's a hand holding all the strings. And, and, a, and a wee twitch of the finger on that hand and you're like, "Ooh, I'll go this way and I'll do this. And then another finger twitches and Woo, and you go there and you just hop about in response to the strings being pulled. You are continually pulled around, 
pulled away from Jesus. You didn't say, don't want to be with you today, Jesus. Bye, I'm, I'm off. No, no, you got pulled away by distractions. Like a puppet on strings. What are the strings? The strings could be another person. It could be, a, a, you know, there could be someone in your life who just has ridiculous expectations, a ridiculous level of control over you and a level of influence. And when that person just moves the finger, the string gets pulled and you get pulled away towards them. It could be work. For a lot of us, it's work. And I just want to share, I don't have it in my notes, but I just want to share something that I shared last Sunday night and also shared on Tuesday night because I get really concerned for the, the impact that work has on us, all of us, all Christians, you know, all of God's people. In, in Exodus 5, Pharaoh lashes out the taskmaster, the, 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 the boss man, the big boss man. He lashes out and he tells the people, you have to make bricks without straw. And, and that is what's, that's so much of the environment of work in probably the last five years for so many people. You are going to have to produce the same stuff. You have to get the same work done. You have to get the same output, but you're not going to get as much time. You're not going to get as many people on your team or, or whatever. You're going to have less resources to work with. That is just bricks without straw would sum up most people's jobs, I would say, in the last five years, how they've changed. Bricks without straw. We're not going to give you what you need, but you're going to have to do the same stuff. And then the verse that really hit me one morning last week was Exodus 6, 9, where Moses comes and he brings a message from God to the people. Moses reports this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and their cruel bondage. They are working so hard that they are discouraged and truth comes and they don't hear it. They can't receive it. Nothing wrong with Moses, nothing wrong with the truth that he's bringing, but they are just so beaten down from making bricks without straw that they can't hear it. I'm not exactly sure what we need to do, but work just has this unbelievable ability to, to bleed over the boundary lines and lead us to a place of discouragement and being unable to hear the truth of God. So work could be a string that gets pulled and the puppet jumps and, and, and does whatever. Money is another one. Um, doesn't really sort of tempt me very much in my job because you can do lots of extra work and you'll never get anything more for it. But and a lot of people and, and the boss might come along and say, hey, we've got this for you and you'll get an extra few grand if you do this. You know, we'll, we'll bump you up or, or whatever. And it's so hard to say no. It's so hard to turn it down. You, you think about the, the things that you'd like to get or the things that you, you, you think that you need. And, oh, if I had that extra few grand, get that bit of work done in the house, change the car, whatever. And, and money becomes the wee string. That it just, it's one of the fingers, one of the strings, just a wee twitch from the money string and whoop, away we go, a, a different direction, pulled. Hobbies that get out of hand, like chess. <laughs> chess is getting out of hand in our house at the minute, isn't it? Um, it's just weird, this, this, this young boy obsession with chess at the minute. Has anybody else witnessed that anywhere? No, just, just me. It's, it's a big deal. Just to, I'm down with the kids. I know what's going on on the street, and they're playing chess. <laughs> okay, <laughs> lots of chess. 
uh, sport in general, entertainment, ministry. What, Mary, or what Martha was doing wasn't bad. She was serving the Lord. She was serving the Lord. But it was a string that was pulling her away. And she, clump, she comes with this complaint to the Lord. She's distracted and she came to Jesus and asked. And I, this is awkward because like Mary's <laughs> sitting there. And uh, in, in she comes. Two siblings having, having a go at it. Imagine that. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care? That my sister has left me to do the work by myself. Tell her to help me. Now, note this. I've never sort of really seen this wee angle on it before. Is it getting really warm in here? Or is it just me preaching something awkward? Look, it's warm. Now, do you want to pull, pull the, one of those double doors? Just getting a bit getting warm enough. Um, yeah. Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? In, in her distractions, in her stress, in her busyness, Martha gets annoyed with Mary, her sister. Right? Let's say it again. She's busy. She's doing too much ministry. She's serving. She's distracted. And she gets annoyed with her sister. Martha is busy. She's doing too much ministry. She's doing too much serving. And the relationship between Martha and her sister gets strained. Is it possible that, or have, have you ever experienced that in your busyness and distraction and lack of devotion, that you begin to point the finger at brothers and sisters in the church and get annoyed with them? The way Martha gets annoyed with Mary here. She's stretched and she's stressed and she's distracted and she's busy and she has not prioritized devotion to Jesus. And all of a sudden, she's starting to make wee accusations about others. Martha, in her busyness and in her stress, takes a shot at her sister. And sometimes in ministry, I think we get so busy and bogged down and exhausted and worn out that the people that we love the most, that are closest to us, that we walk with as we follow Jesus, we can all of a sudden start complaining about one another. And not only has, has Martha got a slightly skewed view of Mary that's causing her to get annoyed with Mary, she's also got a skewed view of Jesus. Lord, don't you care? I've been busy and I've been serving and I've been you know, leading and I've been writing sermons, I've been leading worship, I've been leading youth, I've been doing this, that and the other thing, I've been doing all these things and all of a sudden you're starting to say things to Jesus along the lines of, do you not care about me? Because your busyness and your stress and your distractions cause you had a, a, a skewed view and not only are you taking a wee, a wee, a wee poke at, at your sister or your brother, but you're taking a wee poke at the Lord and you're saying, you don't care about me. You see how it starts to affect your attitude, your thinking, your mindset when you're too darned busy. It skews our view. Right now, Martha is serving the Lord in this story. And I think, and we sometimes you know, carry on a wee bit about this, I guess, when you, know, if you want to serve the Lord, you've got to get angry with the devil. It helps, you know. 
But she's serving the Lord so much. She's, she's engaging in so much service that she's not angry with the devil. She's angry with her sister and she's angry with Jesus. Too much ministry, eh? And Jesus has a gentle rebuke for her and you can see it in how he addresses her. Martha, Martha. Whenever, whenever you get that in, in the New Testament, whenever you get a name mentioned twice, Jesus does it a lot. It's like an emotional appeal. He really is appealing to her. He wants her heart. He is being very gentle. He's so gentle with us when, when we need correction. And he doesn't tell her that what she's doing is a waste of time. He doesn't say, Martha, stop that. That's nonsense. Don't, don't do that. Nobody needs to do that. He, 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 he say, he's basically telling her priorities are upside down. Not what she's doing is bad or sinful. And he says to her, you are worried and upset about many things. It got cold really quickly there when we opened that door, didn't it? <laughs> Sorry, just noticed that. I'm a very compassionate. You're worried and upset, which is, you know, I went to a few different translations to see how these words pan out in different translations. And I think the most effective one I got was anxious and troubled about many things. Anxious. Martha is anxious. I wonder, is the epidemic of anxiety that we're living in to do in part with the fact that we've just got so many things going on in our lives? So many things. The word here for anxious is the same word that Jesus uses in the, in the parable of the sower. Just a couple of chapters back in, in Luke 8, 14, he says about the seed that falls among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches and pleasures, and they do not mature. Is anxiety associated with too many things? You're anxious and troubled about many things. And I think, you know, sometimes I think back to when I was a kid. When I was a kid, I went to BB and I went to CE. CE even existed back then, you know, a thousand years ago when I was young, CE was on. And I went to BB on a Thursday night and loved it. And I went to CE on a Saturday night and I loved it. And I hung out with my mates in sort of non-structured context as well that weren't like events, it was just hanging out. And that was it. You know, two nights a week I went to something that was structured and timed and scheduled. And then I talked to, to kids in school sometimes. And I'm sorry if this is a bit stingy. But, but I hear that kids are at, one, you know, one night they're at music. Next night they're at sport. And the next night they're at dance. And the next night they're at BB. And the next night are GB. And the next night they're... And their lives are so packed with many things. And I wonder, does that have some impact on the fact that a lot of them struggle with anxiety? There's just too much going on. Many things has made Martha anxious. And not only is she anxious, but she is troubled. And this word troubled means a situation of disorder, chaos, what God does not like, <laughs> God doesn't do chaos. The first thing, as, he, as, he, as we open our Bibles, the first thing that God 
read up, to, to use a sort of a Northern Irish term, the first thing he read up was all the chaos. He brought it all into order. God doesn't like chaos, but Martha is troubled and her heart is chaotic. It is a disordered heart. Do you have a disordered heart? Because all of those strings pulling you here, there, and everywhere. So let's be honest. You know, what, what percentage of your, if you were to put a figure on it for the past week, what percentage of your waking conscious hours would you say that you have felt either anxious or troubled? Because I think for some people it's massive. One or the other, nearly all the time. They're anxious or they're troubled. And I think Jesus says one of the problems is many things. Many things. Also, a lack of devotion, obviously, but also just too many things. Jesus offers an alternative. He offers, he actually offers a better meal, as we shall see. Mary has chosen the one thing, Jesus says, that counts. Few things are needed, indeed only one. And Mary has chosen what is better. What she does actually is completely radical. And you miss it, and I hinted at it when we talked about the the, the series on, on women in ministry. We miss what's going on here. Because at Jesus' feet, at the feet of a teacher, sat the students. That's just the way they did it, all right? The the students were not on stools in a lab and the teacher at the front. Teacher was sitting on a chair and the students would have been sitting at the teacher's feet. That that was the posture. And the, the house, you know, domestic setup, there would have been space in the house that was sort of male space where the men would have been and space which was the female space that the women would have been. And, you know, the husband and wife would cross those boundaries in the privacy of their own home when there's no one else around. But in general, you know, the, the female would keep to her space and the males would keep to their space. And there'd be like boundaries in between them. And you didn't cross over. And for for Mary to cross the boundary and sit in the male space at the feet of Jesus was huge, radical, absolutely radical. It was scandalous. She had crossed a boundary. Let's say I appeared at your house tonight with my sleeping bag. And I was to say to you, um, I need, for whatever reason, I need somewhere to to kip for the night. And you're like, that's that's fine, that's grand, you know, there, there, there you go, come on, come on ahead in. And I come in with my sleeping bag and had a cup of tea. And then, you know, you're, you're going to bed and as you walk into your bedroom and you climb into bed and you lean over to turn off the lamp and I'm on the floor in my sleeping bag smiling up at you. I've crossed a boundary, okay? I've gone into your space. I, I was maybe welcome to sleep on the couch in my sleeping bag or, or wherever, but not on your bedroom floor peeping up at you. And it was the same in these houses. There were boundaries. And to cross the boundary was a shocking, scandalous thing to do. And Mary crosses the boundary and sits at the feet of Jesus with the men, blurring the boundaries that they traditionally would have had, just like the Samaritan did in the previous story. And to sit at somebody's feet, I think some of us, we have this picture of Mary just sitting there, starry-eyed, gazing up at Jesus, you know, awestruck to sit at his feet like it says that this is Saul who who became Paul obviously uh, in in the book of Acts I am indeed in one of his defenses he says I am indeed a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel Gamaliel was a rabbi 
I don't think Paul sat at his feet looking up starry-eyed thinking, Oh, you're so wonderful. To sit at his feet meant to learn from him. And that was that, you know, the word for that, that what we call education, what they would have said, you sit at the feet of someone. That's how you get educated. And when you sit at the feet, you learn. You're there as a student, not just to amass information that you'll never ever use, but to learn in order that someday you would teach. And when Mary sits at the feet of Jesus, she is there not just starry-eyed gazing at him. She's learning from him. It says way back, I think I've probably lost the verse. It's a way back at the start. I don't want to go back to it. But, but it says that, that she sat at his feet listening to what he said. She sat at his feet listening to what he said. Okay? His words, his teaching. She was devouring it. And whenever Jesus says to Martha, Mary has chosen what is better, what that might say in some of your Bibles is Mary has chosen the good portion. I wonder what the context of portion may be. There's a meal being prepared. And Jesus says, no, 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 I've got another meal. And Mary has chosen the better portion, the good portion. And this, again, you know, one of the things as you go through Luke, you realize how important the Luke chapter 4, the wilderness, actually is. Because Jesus talked about food there as well. And he said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And Mary is doing that. He's giving her a meal. Martha's in the kitchen preparing a meal. Mary is at Jesus' feet devouring a meal. The word of God. A good portion. Psalm 119, that psalm that is about so much of it is about the word of God. The psalmist says, you are my portion, Lord. You're my meal. I've promised to obey your words. So as we wrap up, just for any children here who think that if you're asked to do some chores, tidy your room, <clears throat> do the, come to the kitchen and help prepare dinner and, and do the dishes, you don't make the excuse that you're having your quiet time and therefore you can't help. All right, you know, come, come and help with the dishes. I'm talking to Jesus. <laughs> can't come right now. No, that's not going to fly. Jesus does not criticize what Martha does. The problem is that, that, that what she does is at the expense of prioritizing listening to him. And service at the expense of Jesus' words is a bad choice. Service at the expense of, of sitting at his feet and listening to words is a bad choice. I wonder, did Martha listen to Jesus? Because we, we don't read of her again in Luke. Did she listen to Jesus? I think she did. I'm not going to go to, to John at length, but just want to point out a beautiful verse in John 11 around the story of, of the, the death and then the, the raising of Lazarus. Lazarus. Jesus loved Martha. He didn't say Jesus was frustrated with Martha or Jesus had to continually rebuke Martha. Jesus loved Martha. And you know what? Martha pulled out of Jesus some of the most commonly read words in all of Christian history. Read probably at nearly every grave, at nearly every Christian burial and many non-Christian burials as well. Jesus said to her, to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. She got those words out of him. Nobody else. 
It was her conversation with him that caused him to make that incredible, powerful statement that has encouraged millions, billions of mourners over the centuries. And I wonder sometimes, are we too busy to eat? In Mark 6, Jesus' disciples, because so many people in 631, so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. So busy with ministry. So busy with serving. Good things. Ministering to people. Praying for people. Healing the sick. Teaching people. Bringing them to Jesus. All good stuff. But they're so busy, they don't have time to eat. And I think there's more to that than just they didn't get time to eat their sandwiches. Have a meal. I think there's, there's, there's a, a, another depth. that the, Too much to eat. Jesus' response when it said, not too much to eat, but they didn't have a chance to eat. Jesus' response to them having too much busyness that they don't have time to eat. He doesn't take them to Mickey D's for a quick feed and say, horse that India and back to work. He takes them away and he, say, he says to them, come with me. This is the first verse that I preached after COVID. I can still remember the Sunday morning that we came back after COVID and met for the first time. And this, I believe God put on my heart for that morning. He says to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. That's the meal he gives them. Come and feed on me. Come and listen to me. Come and sit at my feet. Are you too busy to eat, spiritually speaking? Too busy to eat. Distracted, pulled away. As is so often the case with Jesus teaching in the Gospels. This is, you know, you just look at it, you read it, you think about it. You, there's not an awful lot of work to be done in terms of drawing out application. It's just there. It's all there. Mary takes the initiative to sit at his feet. She makes the choice to listen and to devour his teaching. And if we're too busy to sit at Jesus' feet, then we're too busy. And we're really depriving ourselves, depriving our souls. If you think about those words again, pathological busyness. Distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. Some of you, and this is a very, very simple example. Some of you might be able to use the Bible on your phone when you're having your quiet time. I can't i just can't i will not there's not a hope of me having that thing near me or in my hand and not going other places <laughs> you know we quick read at the news we quick check at the 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 premier league table we quick whatever you know look at the class list for today what's going on i just can't do it and that's maybe a problem some of you are probably more disciplined i'm not with that i have to be away from it i've got to just make some Conscious effort, whatever it looks like for you to get yourself, like Mary, at his feet, listening to what he says and not distracted into oblivion. Let's pray, let's worship and let's eat together.